Well, good morning. You look good this morning. You look good. How much rain did we get? Oh, come on. You guys know. Two plus. It's wonderful. Everything's green. It's absolutely incredible. S- several years ago, I, was, I had the privilege of serving as the pastor at First Methodist Church McKinney. Um, one of our high school students gave her testimony after the high school mission trip. Now, the youth pastor told me she'd never been on a trip. She told me that she had really been affected by the trip, and it would be good for the congregation to hear her testimony. So I reviewed, you know, I always like to review particularly what teenagers are going to say up in front of the congregation, but I reviewed what she was going to say. It looked really good. She came from an affluent family. They three generations of living in McKinney, uh, being community leaders. It was great. But the way she started was different than what she'd shared with me. She said this, I will never look at my life the same way ever again. When school began last year, I wanted to see who had the new cars, the most stylish clothes, and who'd been on the coolest vacation. I was really into image, being being in the coolest groups and building my resume for getting into the best college. I still want to get into the best college I can, but my reasons for why are changing. God opened my eyes to see the world differently, and from now on, I want to make a difference for others. I was trying, sitting behind her, not to let my mouth drop open. She went on to share how they had slept on hard beds, taken cold showers, how bad the food was. She talked about the hard work, but she also talked about how they worshiped together, how they prayed for each other and prayed for those that they were helping. She said, all the while, we knew that Jesus was smiling. She closed with these words. For the past few years, I've known Jesus as my Savior. Now I know why. Because just as God loved us enough to die for us, so we should love each other, especially those outside our circle. I will never look at my world the same again. Everything is different now. Mm. Those, thing, those words, everything is different now. It's what Paul is trying to say to us about what happens when we look beyond ourselves. To accept the grace and forgiveness of, of, of God through Jesus Christ in order that we might live for Christ as Lord of our life. And when we do, everything is different. Today we're going to begin the journey of looking at the goodness of God and and to live for Christ as Lord is to receive the goodness of God. It is what opens the door to that goodness. 
And in the weeks to come, we're going to look at the gifts that God is offering us. Family, living without fear, the promise of tomorrow, the gift of salvation, and seeing the unexpected delight of God. And so we begin our journey today by hearing the call of Paul to accept Christ as Lord over all things in our life. Lord. Because the closer we walk with God, the clearer we can see and experience the goodness of God. As Paul says in Romans 8, 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our redeemer. May these words be your words, and for all that I don't speak, O God, may you fill in the gaps that I would hear, that we would hear your word for us today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Paul begins these two sentences with... I appeal to you, therefore. The Greek word on, which means therefore, is used 526 times in the New Testament. 526 times. It's a simple word used in the same way that we use therefore to connect cause and effect. It is the so what. And so for over In over 500 places, the New Testament writers connect the life, teachings, sacrifice, Jesus as Savior, Jesus as Lord to our lives. The cause and the effect. Here in chapter 12 of Romans, Paul puts the so what on our salvation for 11 chapters. For 11 chapters, Paul makes the case for justification by faith in Jesus Christ. How a sinful and rebellious humanity can can be put into a right relationship with God. Then in chapters 12 through 16, Paul outlines the behaviors, the thinking of those who were saved through Jesus Christ and now accept Jesus as Lord over their lives. And as such, inherent in in all that Paul does in 12 through 16 is the goodness of God. The goodness of God. It is, for me, it is the most important therefore in the entire Bible. For Paul connects our understanding of Jesus as Savior... For by grace I've been saved through faith. It is not any of my own doing, but a gift from God. To what now I am called to do because of that salvation. Paul knows that there is a need to be a change in heart to accept Christ as Savior. But Paul also knows, as we hear, if you've been around and read any self-help books, that there also needs to be a change of mindset. But this change of mindset is different than the change of mindset that you might hear in other places. It is a different kind of mindset than what we normally hear out on the internet or in the books that we read. For this mindset determines 
Not just our relationship with God, but how we put that relationship and in action as we walk out those doors. He says this. He says, therefore, you are to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, Paul reverts to cultic language here when he uses the word sacrifice. Now, it's not the blood sacrifice that the Jews would use in animal sacrifice to atone or to please God or to return to God. Paul is not saying that we should sacrifice our bodies, our work, our families, or even our possessions. Paul is saying that we should see in everything we are, hear that? In everything we do, in everything we have as a means of living for God. It is a call to change how we see and think about life, not unlike what happened to that young lady in McKinney when she said, everything is different now. This mindset has three characteristics. And in the translations that we typically read, those are holy, acceptable, and spiritual worship. Now, I, I don't know about you, but those sound pretty churchy to me. Anybody else think those are churchy? And do we really understand what Paul is saying here? Holy, acceptable. You know, it sounds like some kind of, you know, put your hands together, you know, bend your knees, get, get in a posture of, 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 of a... No. The word holy, hagean, means in the likeness of God, different from the world, set apart. The, the word that is estertos means well-pleasing or to make God smile. To be set apart, to be like God, to make God smile. And then a spiritual worship. It's two words there, logikos latirin. And <laughs> logikos means divine reasonableness. It is a, a word that, is, uh, that, the, that Paul particularly used when he was talking about divine reasoning and how God changes the way that we think and act. And then Lateria, which does mean worship, but it literally means sacred service to God. You see, Paul understood all of life. All that we do, if done in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, as worship. To say it another word, it is the mindset of seeing God in all things, even the most difficult. It is to look for ways in our relationships, our work, and even the most mundane. To look for ways to make them sacred set apart of God. True sacrifice in this sense is to live each day in the likeness of God, even if it's different from the world, 
And the words that we speak and the things that we do and the actions that we take in order to make God smile. It took me back to the, the testimony of that girl. We knew every day that Jesus was smiling. She had no idea about this passage. But she had felt the Spirit of God. Paul recognizes that our mindset change is difficult. Because we live in the pressures between to conform and to live for God. And if you read enough of the New Testament, we, we, we see this dynamic taking place. Uh, in, in fact, there's a place in the Old Testament where it talks about, one of the prophets says, you are, uh, you are one le- on one leg for God and on the other leg for the pagans. <laughs> you know, And so that's, that's kind of the dance that we often take in our lives. We're one, one leg for, for the world and another for God. Back and forth we go. Paul says there is one way, one way, one way. J.B. Phillips put it this way. Do not let this world squeeze you into its own mold. When, when Paul says to be conformed by this world, he's basically conformed means Schismatios, which is a, literally means a recommended shape, pattern, or detail plan. And the Greek word world is aeon. It is not the shape. It is not the earth. It is a period of time and the practices that take place during that period of time. So to, what Paul is saying is that we are not to be shaped or formed to the times. Do not follow the plans that are recommended by others. And and today, I've heard some of you say this to me, we are constantly being challenged in our faith. There is a threat on every corner to the Christian faith. And the threat is not to our bodies, it's the way we think. Every day we're being bombarded by thoughts, opinions, philosophies, the recommendations of others, the media... You got a problem, I can tell you the answer or at least tell you where to go to get a dozen answers. So that what what you think and what you feel can be the way that you choose to live. That is not of God. There is one truth. There is one answer. Do not let this world squeeze you into its own mold. Now, Paul's not recommending that we ignore good advice. What he's recommending is that anything that is contrary to the ways of God, we, could, we should take a step back. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, transformed. Transformed is a, the word metamorpho, from which we get our word metamorphosis. It's the word to, to describe the transformation of a tadpole into a frog, a caterpillar into a butterfly. 
But this word also means more. In, in other places in the New Testament, it is used to describe an inner radiance that is so bright that it becomes visible to others. It's the word that's used to describe the, the uh, transfiguration of Jesus on the mount where he shone with light. It's the word that's used um, to describe Jesus in other places where, where, he, he, where he stood out among others. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says this about the radiance. And we who with veiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. This transformation is obvious. And before I go any further... I want to ask the question, I've asked it before, I'll ask it again. At work, at school, in your neighborhood, in your acquaintances, in your friendships, in your family, can they see your faith? Does it show? Be transformed, Paul says, by the renewing of your minds. How do we be transformed? Here the Greek word is sumorphos. It's kind of a cousin of metamorpho. It's to be changed to what is intended. By the renewing of your minds is that your mind would be changed into what God has intended. And, and here's the thing about the, the tense that Paul uses here. It, it is a, a tense that indicates a future long process not immediate. And when we do, that we may discern the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I often hear people say to me, I want to know God's will. We often translate it, you know, for young people, it's who am I going to marry? What's going to be my job for those? So we get, should I buy this house? Is this God's will? For me to change a job, you know, what is God's will for my life? And I think God does lead us in this morning, in, 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 this, in these moments. But this word is actually speaking to a broader sense of, of, of God's will. The word dakimazo is translated discern is literally to prove by testing, to understand over a period of time of growth, of increased understanding. And, you know, the only place we get that is when we gather with other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why the church is so important. That's our definition, that we are connected community. So that the renewing of our minds, that we may discern, that we may grow. Yeah, I heard someone the other day talking about uh, uh, brushing your teeth. Does everybody brush your teeth? Nobody brushes their teeth? You, um, yeah. <laughs> Do you brush your teeth every day? Yeah, what if you brushed your teeth once a week? What if you brushed your teeth once a month? 
You, you go to the, the dentist, and the dentist says, your gums are a mess. Well, I brush my teeth. I believe in brushing my teeth. I'm, in fact, I believe it is in the core of my being. And the dentist says, well, how many times do you brush your teeth? And how long? Well, about, about once a week. And so the dentist says, you need to brush your teeth every day. So you go home, you brush your teeth, and the next morning you look at, at your mouth and nothing has changed. Because brushing our teeth requires us to do it over a period of time again and again and again and again. And it is only through that transformation process over time of, of regular consistent discipline that our gums get bitter that our soul is nourished that we can be different Paul uses the word perfect when he describes the promise of what we shall become what is good and acceptable and perfect and the Greek word is uh, teleos. It's the strongest word. There's like four words that are translated perfect in the, in the New Testament. It is the strongest of the four. It is the most definite. And it means to fulfill your destiny. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? To fulfill your destiny. It describes someone who is mature in their thinking, who has become... Someone who we see the presence of Christ in them. It's used to describe Jesus. It's used to describe the new Jerusalem in Revelation. It's used to describe the goodness of God. Last week in the service, I shared some stats, some alarming stats about faith in America and and Barna and Lifeway Research was trying to figure out what, what impact that um, coronavirus had had on our culture in terms of faith. And actually, it's, we don't know, but we've seen a, a pretty drastic decline. It's actually a 30-year decline, but we've kind of fallen off the cliff here over the last year or so. They determined in this by questioning folks that only 10% of the population, and this includes church folks, only 10% of the population, actually church folks are about double that, only 10% of the population actually live a committed life. And they defined a committed life as someone who prays every day, goes to worship every week, and when they make decisions, they consider God and what God would want in those, the decisions that they make. Barna, in his conclusion, described these folks as highly spiritually motivated, a breed apart. Barna in Lifeway also asked about people's lives. And what they found out about this 10% was astounding. 68% say that they are very happy as compared to 30% of the population. 
They say their families are strong. Their marriages are long and secure. The divorce rate is way less, less than half of the natural, na, uh, national average. They're more tolerant of others, of people that are different than them, of people of other races, which, by the way, is really different from the way that the media would want to paint <laughs> the committed Christian. They're more involved in the community. They are more likely to give to charitable organizations. They go on and on. It's absolutely incredible. That committed core of our nation, it starts here in the mind. So what are we going to do with our life? You may, you may put it like this, Lord, here it is. I have trouble with it, and I'm sure you will too, but here it is. You want it, I give it to you for the rest of my life, and if you can, make me an instrument of whatever you want. And you know what God says? Okay, I'm ready. Give it to me. Let's see what I can do. If we come on that basis to surrender, we will have an exciting life beyond our expectations. Difficult at times, yes, but with the mindset that we can overcome anything that life might send to us. You know, this church was established over, well over 100 years ago. Um, there have been, in the different churches, locations, thousands and thousands of people that have sat in the sanctuaries and worship uh, centers of this church. Right? All of them, though we cannot see it, have made their mark on this church. All of them. Have you made a mark? Have you? I want you to join me in something today as we take Holy Communion. As we take Holy Communion, I want you to take your foot and, and you know, kind of do it um, where nobody can see you. Because you, you don't want people to know that you're that committed. Um, and make a mark with your foot, an invisible mark on the floor. And say, Lord, this is my mark. This is my place. You are my Lord. This is the time, the place that I make my mark. When I can say, from now on, everything will be different. Everything. I really believe that those thoughts were in, in Jesus' mind and heart 
when he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. I can only imagine what had gone through his head as he looked around at the 12. And, and he knew what was coming. He knew the betrayal. He called it. He knew the denial. He called it. He knew the suffering that was He called it. He knew the death that was coming. He called it. And he knew the glory of the resurrection that was coming. He called it. But what was in their minds? I think in that moment, Jesus was simply confirmed that all that was ahead of him, the betrayal, the denial, the death, the resurrection was needed for their souls and for every follower that would follow. They needed it. They needed it.